You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hey, hey, what's going on, Friday? Yeah, it's Friday. It's the weekend before Memorial Day. Uh, Pretty stoked about it. Um, Saturdays, I recently started uh, cooking outside. Like, outside of the restaurant from 12 to 3. Every Saturday now, I'm doing $5 burgers called My Way or the Highway. There's no substitutions. There's no modifications. It's a badass $5 burger. Comes on like a little brioche roll. And I say little, it's like a three and a half inch brioche roll. So it's a huge burger. Lettuce, tomato. This week I'm doing uh, pastrami. We did some house cured pastrami. And I'm doing uh, like a smoked mozzarella cheese on top of it. That sounds fun to me. Uh, But they're five bucks. I cook them over a wood fired grill in front of the restaurant. And uh, they're $5, man. You can't beat that. So come on by. Say hi. I've got picnic tables if you want to sit at them, but it's not my job to clean up after you. If you're going to come and be a pig, then don't come and be a pig. Come and sit down. Have some fun. Enjoy it. We've got great music playing all day long. We're smoking all day long. Just super fun. And now that I'm home all the time, like I'm loving this because the restaurant's open and we're busy. We're doing our stuff. You know, we had to hire somebody else. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago to come in and help us out because we started, you know, our sales started to increase a little bit. So we're having a little bit of fun. But I think the biggest thing for me is the fact that I'm home. You know, like at the end of the day, I get in my car and I come home like a normal human being. I don't have to go back to a hotel. I don't have to like go out to dinner with a bunch of people. I come home or like last night uh, I got home and hopped on the bike. And I just rode around for like an hour, you know, Um, which I was pretty happy about. I just hopped on the bike, rode around, beautiful sunset coming down about nine o'clock. And uh, I just kind of stopped and chilled and sat and watched it and then rode around for a little bit, did a little highway all the way back down, back roads, back into my house. It was perfect. I get home and my daughter's already here. So we got to hang out and chat and kind of bullshit for a little while, which is like the my favorite part of being home. Um, that I, I'm seeing friends kind of here and there as they're coming into the restaurant. I've seen a lot of people that I haven't seen in a really, really long time either. So, you know, guys that I knew in high school and girls that I knew in like middle school are now ordering and they're coming in with their families, like standing out front and, you know, kind of introducing me to them through the door, um, which is really kind of cool. Cause when you haven't seen somebody in 30 years, And they walk in the front door and they're like, hey, do you remember me? Or, oh, I'm so-and-so's husband or I'm so-and-so's wife. Like, it's just kind of cool to see. Um, I I think another thing for me is really my favorite part of the day, other than cooking and doing all that, because I'm going to get into that in a minute, is honestly is talking to some of these people on the phone. Because there's something to be said about the creator talking about the creation. There's something to be said about a chef having a conversation with a guest about their food because nobody is going to explain that food the way that you do. Nobody is going to put the passion, the emphasis, the exclamation points about certain products that you're talking about, especially when you're talking about barbecue. Because, like right now we're in this insane world of pricing. I paid like over $2 and 20 cents a pound yesterday for pork butts. I mean, they're like a buck 40, you know, they're really inexpensive. So you're cutting your profit, you know, by 75%, you're losing money. Brisket shot up to eight plus dollars a pound. So like right now I'm doing a London broils style flank steak. So we get the London broils in, we clean or the London broils, we get the flanks in, we clean them up we remove that back silver skin. Take, uh, I do ketchup, mayonnaise and some mustard like a burger. That sounds like this great start, like a perfect start to a great burger, by the way. Some of our barbecue spice, Montreal seasoning and red wine vinegar. And we marinate them overnight and then we grill them prior to service. So I'll take like 10 or 12 flanks, grill them, 
Then we slice them to order. And then it's this awesome flank steak that you're getting. So now the problem is this flank steak is $7 a pound. So, you know, we're hitting that mark again of where we've got to try to figure out where it is that we can make money. Ribs shot up. Ribs are three plus dollars a pound. When you're thinking about it, you know, an average rack is three and a quarter pounds. Now I'm three plus. So I'm at that after, after labor and additional product, you're at 1250. You sell a full rack of ribs for 25 bucks. You're making a 50% cost. So your cost is pretty much cut pretty far. So we are making adjustments on a daily basis about what we're doing with the menu, some of the items that we're running and features and stuff like that. But it's, you know, we keep talking about that pivot and that new normal, which I don't see a new normal at all. I just see different variations of normalcy happening on a daily basis. For some reason yesterday, there were just thousands upon thousands of people on the road. If I felt like it was like a rush hour traffic pretty much all day. But the weird thing is there's nowhere to go. Like there's no stores to go shopping in. So I always wonder like where people are going. I know where I'm going. I got to go buy food. Like as soon as I'm done this, I got to go buy another two goddamn cases of cabbage because we're blowing through three and a half, you know, 150 to 200 pounds of coleslaw or cabbage a week for the coleslaw. So um, I, I think the big thing for me for this week is really that kind of reflection over the last nine weeks. You know, what is it that I have found? Well, for me, I found that the average human being is pretty nice. You know, the people that you talk to on the phone, it's so wild how appreciative they are that you're open. And it's so wild how appreciative they are that you're appreciating what they're doing. So it's just this like whole reciprocal world of because when was the last time throughout the world that we all had the exact same concern? Like we're all afraid that we're going to get Corona. You know, we're all afraid that somebody that we know is going to get Corona. We're all afraid that our elders are going to die or that our children are going to get Corona and die. We all have that same fear. And it's really one of the major things that we're all talking about. And let me rephrase that. It is pretty much the only thing that we're all talking about. We're talking like in, in a very minute way about, I think, some politics because they're just so full of shit and have zero concept of what realistically is going on. Um, do I think that we should open up? Open the floodgates, man. Open the floodgates. If you don't feel well, you stay home. If you've got a cough, can't taste, if you can't smell, stay home. Give it five or six days. Pandemic yourself. Quarantine yourself. I, I do believe that we have to get back to some form of normalcy because we cannot go on like this. We cannot go on like this. The, the unemployment and all the other stuff is just killing me. But with that being said, my business and the people that I see coming into my business are, are just a great group of people. You know, we're doing the staff meal stuff, which if anybody wants to, you guys can go to ardmoreq.com. And you can click the top right-hand corner, which says begin order now. And you can place an order for staff meal, which $10 feeds three people. So to give you an idea, I just got a call from Lankinall Hospital, the hospital down the street from me again, who said, hey, is it possible for you to do another round of food? Well, yeah, absolutely. I'll do another round of food because people are buying staff meal, which originally started out as the opportunity to feed any home, any uh, laid off hospitality worker could just call up and order a staff meal and we'll create something for you. Typically, it ends up being, you know, a half a pound or a half a chicken of, of some or, or you know, half a pound of protein and some form of chicken or, or let me rephrase that or a half of a chicken. You get coleslaw, you get French fries and you get any side that you want. So we're now like building these packages up, creating these really cool meals. And I have a guy who comes in every single week. And I give him one for him and his wife at night. And then I give him a lunch meal the next day, four different dishes. So it's not like they're eating the same thing every single day, but he calls up and he's super humble. And the coolest part about it is he drops like a $10 bill into the tip jar. So this is a guy who's been laid off, but he's still tipping the restaurant. So my staff is still gaining tips, which is a really kind of cool thing when you think about it. And, and then at the same time, any hospital worker can eat for free as well. 
So if you've been laid off or if you're currently working in a hospital, just order the staff meal. You know, come on in and say hi to us. Show us your badge if you work in a hospital. That's the one thing we do ask for. I hate to put like stipulations on this stuff, but I don't want just random people walking in and getting free meals. It's just not the way that it works. Although in reality, if you feel that you really need a free meal and I've got them, I guess it's not really my place to just don't take advantage of it. But I don't see people taking advantage of things right now. I see people genuinely being cautious and being caring and having full conversations you know, we uh, are quick to judge in so many situations. And, you know, I had a woman on the phone last night who was like, well, I don't want to come anywhere near the restaurant. Well, when you first hear that you don't want to come anywhere near the restaurant, you're, 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 you know, like a dog, your ears perk up. You know, you start to kind of question, well, what do you mean you don't want to come near the restaurant? And then she kind of went into, I just want to give you my credit card over the phone, which just so you know, when you call me and I have to type the credit card in, I get charged additional money for doing a hand type credit card as opposed to a swipe or an online or an Apple pay or something to that effect. So for us, it's kind of a pain in the ass. Plus when I have somebody who wants to put a credit card in on the phone, that takes up like three extra minutes for me while I've got caviar, DoorDash, Grubhub, people walking in the front door, Orders coming in online. My phone is ringing in the background to put that order through. Now, I'm not complaining about this. I'm just letting you know that for you to put a credit card, to to give me your credit card over the phone, just costs me more money and it kind of takes up time. I'm not complaining about it because, again, you're ordering from me and you're paying my bills in reality at that point for the restaurant, but it just kind of sucks sometimes. But if you want, you can scan a code and you can pay online or... You can pay on place your order on the website, which you guys should always do. You should always be calling the restaurant first and finding out if they have a website. Can you order from the website? If they say no, then place that order there. Try to do me a favor. Get out of this world of placing pickup orders through Grubhub, Caviar, do, uh, DoorDash, Uber Eats, any of those systems, because they're taking a percentage of money from us And they're taking a percentage of money from you. So like to give you an idea, I had a woman last night who ordered a half a rack of ribs. It's a $14 half a rack of ribs. Well, it cost her 20 bucks and she came and picked it up. So it cost her $5 more. And I had seven and a half percent taken off of the top of the order because she placed the order in. And what I said was, hey, if you do me a favor next time, I'd love to have you place the order online. We update our menu every single day on there. I update the counts. I update everything that I'm offering for the night. So place your order online. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like people are so genuine at this point. Um, And we're having fun. You know, I am having the conversation with the people. I'm explaining the dishes. I'm telling them what I think is going to work best. When they order the baked beans, I'm like, it's my favorite thing on the menu. When they order a pulled pork sandwich, that's my favorite thing on the menu because I love our pulled pork. I love our beef ribs. I love our flank steak. I'm really having conversations with people. And I'm also pretty honest with people. When a woman calls up and says she wants to get a whole chicken, she wants to get a half a rack of ribs, and she wants to order two sides, you know, one being French fries and one being coleslaw, I say, do me a favor and just order the Athens, which is like 36 bucks or whatever it is, which is a whole, a half, a whole chicken, a half a rack of ribs, a whole order of fries, plus like sides and stuff. So I'm saying to them, hey, you're going to save money if you're going to do it this way. You know, and people are just kind of appreciative. And I think it's kind of cool because we're in the front. We're talking to the people. We're having fun. I'm getting to know them. They're walking in. I'm taking the orders. I see their number come up on the caller ID and their name. And I'm like, hey, Joan, what's going on? How are you? Oh, Brian, it's so good. What do you have today? Like it's 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 something that I don't think a lot of owners have gotten to experience over the last bunch of however many years because we're always organizing, putting people in place, getting schedules together, paying the bills, trying to do this. Whereas now I'm in the front line and I'm working it with everybody. So I I just kind of want to get into the part where I'm saying that I'm seeing the positive out of this whole thing. And I know that there's a lot of other people that are. We've slowed down. Our earth is healing itself. Our bodies are healing themselves. We've slowed it down a little bit. We're not constantly moving. Shit, I've lost weight, man. I don't know how the fuck I've done it. Because I eat a big Buford almost all the time. But my big question is, what exactly 
do we have to be pissed off about? Besides the fact that business is in the shit or our country's kind of weird, we're at home. We're with our families. We're getting to see people. I think that's pretty cool. So where I'm going with this is that, uh, you know, I always try to find something kind of cool about our guests and, and I try to do a little bit of a monologue prior to, to kind of introduce that person. And, and that's where it comes into for this week's guest, which is Adam Hegstead. And Adam is the, uh, is, is a chef out of Spokane, Washington, who I met about four or five years ago doing an event out there. And it has, it, it was, it's, it's one of my favorite events of the year. It's in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, you know, I, I take a, uh, I do a huge ride out there for a charity, typically Wounded Warriors. And then um, at, right after the Wounded Warrior ride, I take five or six days by myself and I go and explore and I ride 15 to 1800 miles through the Pacific Northwest. And if it weren't for Adam putting this event called Crave Northwest together um, with Tom Stebbins, then it probably just wouldn't have ever happened. Um, one of the things that I like so much about Adam is his diversity within the restaurants that he has, the multi-level stuff from burgers to breakfast to fine dining concepts, um, the way that he treats his staff, the way that he's pulled his staff together. Um, and, and he's just a really quality individual. So if everybody can do me a favor and put your hands together, um, get yourselves ready to rock and roll because this week on Duffified Live, we got Adam Hegstead, brother. Good morning, Adam. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you doing? I am. Uh, I'm good, man. You know, like I said, I'm pulling pulling thorns out of my fingers from doing some yard work and breaking some calluses from working my butt off for the last couple of weeks harder than we ever have. Uh, I feel yeah, I know, I dude. I know you do. Uh, hey, Adam, why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you tell everybody who you are, what you do and how they can get in contact with you? Sure. I'm a chef owner of uh, Eat Good Group. We have um, 11 different restaurants in northern Idaho, n- northern Idaho, eastern Washington, so Spokane, uh, Spokane, Washington, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Um, I'm on uh, all, this, all the usual social channels, so uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. It's just Adam Hegstead, easy to find. Um, and then all of our restaurants uh, we found on eatgoodgroup.com or the uh, same social channels, Eat Good Group. So I was watching uh, – I'm a documentary guy. And I was watching this documentary on this chick from Spokane who claimed she was black and she was white. Oh, yeah, Rachel. <laughs> How crazy is that, dude? It's insane. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. That, huh? Yeah. yeah it was for, when did this happen? Super weird. Uh, I don't know. Probably two years ago, maybe. She was on it's, the she was like on the NAACP. She was like the head of it. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty interesting. And it was all because she identified as being, uh, as she, she identified as being black. Yep. And she even said her father was black and that her, uh, and she was not of white descent. Yep. That's true. Which was pretty wild. Oh, well, that's the Spokane. Which is, uh, which is uh, pretty wild and not, and not true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pretty wild yeah. and not true. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we do these podcasts every week and it seems like we all are starting off with the same conversation, um, every week, but how are you doing during all of this? Well, uh, I actually feel, feel, I mean, I talked to you about a week ago and I was feeling a little more, uh, stressed out, but I feel a little better now because we've, we found our groove a tiny bit. We haven't got, we haven't gotten any help yet, any loans or anything, but we have been hitting payroll for, you know, the last two payrolls and we've kind of stopped, we stopped the bleeding. So like that feels pretty good. I feel like, you know, maybe out of, out of everything, we're going to become a little bit better at business because of this, because you get like a little bit of time to reset, um, which we we wouldn't normally have to do. You know, when you're like going back in there, you're working seven days a week, you're like crushing it, trying, probably working more now than I have in, in quite a long time just to, make ends meet but it's like right it gives us a chance to you know say all right well what are some things that we're doing right and here's some things that now that we're repaired all the way down we're scaled way back how can we reset and turn up turn this up to where it is right now but on our regular level on a sustainable level 
I think it's it's oh. been a, I think it's really been like most of the people that I've been talking to have been kind of saying that same thing. Like they're having the opportunity to kind of look at their businesses again and really yeah. say, OK, well, this worked for us. This didn't work. Maybe we make this adjustment and they're coming back smarter and, and a little bit more organized. Well, yeah, it's like it's almost like, you know, it's like having losing a business is is hard that. That, my first restaurant, I, I lost my first restaurant and it was super hard, but it's like we got to almost that level. We didn't get quite there, but yeah. we got close enough to where you're like, oh man, that was way too close. Our model yeah. needs to change. Yeah. Our model needs to change. We need to be able to put some money in the bank. You know, the months when you're like, you know, it, we're really seasonal here. And so when you're hitting the winter and it's slow and you're eating up all your cash from the summertime. It's like, well, why are we doing that? We need to come down to this level where we're right. actually, you know, hitting some of our bills or paying payroll, even though we're, we have 15% of our normal income and we're still doing okay. So it's like taking all of these things where we're tightening the belt, we're making sure that we're spending money in the proper places instead of being, you know, like every, every cent going out is a cent, a cent that we just struggled to get. So right. like bring that mentality back. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've had a little different because I've got a barbecue spot right now. So, you know, I mean, and we're our sales are up, you know, as oh, for where they were. I mean, we're ahead of the curve with a lot of stuff because, you know, normally I wouldn't be hitting these numbers until, you know, uh, really oh, late crazy. May, yeah. early June. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, and so right now I'm saying, okay, this is where we are right now. But I think the hardest part is going to be doing a lot of like, I don't know what I'm budgeting for at this point. Oh yeah. You know, that's difficult. even though I'm That's open, yeah. I, you know, like last week we got fucking crushed. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Saturday night, record breaking night in a to go yeah. situation. I had people waiting 40 minutes for food, you know? <laughs> yeah. And cause that we just, cause I've got to, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got a tiny yeah. little window and normally yeah. I take the food, it goes in, you know, it goes onto a tray or it goes in a bag and it goes out the front door. But now it's yeah. like, I've got product lined up all over the place. And so what do I do for this week? Okay, well, cool. Well, that was the norm for last week. Now let me reschedule this. And then my numbers were down this week. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, it's okay, like you we, get cut early, you get cut early. Like, you but, know, but on, on some, on some level, that's okay to like get exactly. pinched every once in a while. I mean, it seems like what we've done at times is just, you just have an extra guy on just in case that happens, but that can't yeah. be the case. Cause that's what eats up your profit margins. Yeah. It's like that extra guy that's just hanging out and yeah, occasionally you're going to get caught with your pants down, but it's, it's the rarity. It's not going to happen every week. Well, yeah, and if it just, does, then great. Then you figure it out. Right. And you yeah. make that extra hire. I mean, I hired two extra people to come yeah. in. So I hired a new dishwasher and I hired a line cook who's going between line cook and helping to run food to and from cars. So like yeah. we're adapting as much as we can, but I mean, exactly. and then, and then what happens right after that, you know, I think we talked last time was, you know, all my purveyors are COD and their prices are more expensive than I'm paying from some of my local guys Oh yeah, so I'm running yeah. around, picking food up, you know, I'm picking my ribs up. I'm grabbing my briskets yeah. and all that. I get to the yeah. fucking counter at restaurant depot and they tell me that there's a limit on how much food I can buy now. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. I'm like, I've got 10 cases of ribs here that I'm going to go through in the next two days. Yeah. And I'm only allowed to take, you're telling me I'm only allowed to take 60 pounds. You're like, I'm not a prepper. I swear. I'm like, what the, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm not just bringing them home. So, and yeah. it was like, you know, I mean, so now they've kind of loosened up some of their stuff, but it's just, you know, the rules and everything. And I just read this morning that Smithfield, the pork plant has reopened. So oh, really? hopefully, that's yeah. Crazy. Cause I mean, they shut that down two weeks ago cause they had over 300 yeah. cases. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. And then they shut one of the beef factories down. And so, I mean, I think we're just walking into a weird struggle, but then we've got now all the farmers. You know, yeah. how much are they planting? How much product has been lost? I heard dairy farmers are actually pouring milk out. Yeah, well, and it's going to mess with the prices for a while. I mean, the trickle down effect is going to happen for, you know, probably the next two years. Because yeah. prices are going to be really cheap for a little bit for meat because you have overabundance of product that's not being sold. Right. So that's it's difficult. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see it for a while. Yeah, we are. It's going to but, be going back and forth. But all right. So let's. Let's talk about you now. Let's kind of do, let's do some digging in here. So where, where are you from? Like, what's your area? Where did you kind of start in this whole world? Yeah. So I, I grew up in Spokane. Um, cool. This is, 
uh, yeah, and I've, I've uh, pretty much lived here my whole life. Um, I, I went to um, culinary school here. I went to community college and um, ended up really enjoying it and wanted a little bit more. So I decided to go to Seattle um, and, and go to the Art Institute. So I went to another, another culinary school. Oh, cool. Um, it's a little, little higher level. Um, so you went back, so you went associate's degree and then into a bachelor's uh, or just a double culinary degree, okay. double culinary associate's degree. One science, one was, one was in arts. Right. Um, um, and it was just, it was, is, but I, what I was able to do is like when you're in community college, um, culinary school, you basically learn how to be a really good line cook, like a great line cook. Um, so then when, after I had that knowledge, I was able to take that next level. I was able to like, take, instead of like, just being there, just, you know, just swimming, (laughs) like in culinary school, I was able to just like take the cream off the top because I already had like a a really good base, um, where some of the other, other students were kind of, you know, just getting the ideas of mirepoix and stock and all these things. I could dig a little bit further into it. Right. The other part of it too was, was when I was in school, I, um, since I worked, I worked downtown, but, um, I had to be, I had to be to work. I mean, be to school really early to get a parking spot. So, and I didn't move that spot all day cause I worked downtown as well. And so I'd have to get there pretty early. And then in between school and work, I'd have about an hour and a half or two hours. And it was like too far to go home. So I ended up spending a lot of time in the library. But right. what I found as, as I learned more about cooking, like more about, you know, I'd read like time life and, Pretty much every chef, every every cookbook, probably in that library, I re- I ended up reading. Like the more passion developed, like the more I learned, yeah. the more I like got like it sank its hooks into me, and I really like started to keep digging and digging. I still feel that way today. Like it's, I think that that's one great thing about this industry is whether you're talking about barbecue. Let's talk about barbecue. You're, you're there's so many different even in the United States regional barbecue, and then you go to barbecue right. styles in Africa or barbecue styles in you know every, every other place in Asia, there's like it and, and so much information out there that it's just, I find that extremely interesting and like want to keep digging forever. So, you know, that's, that's really where my passion comes from. It's funny. I had a guy, a buddy of mine was texting me last night and he sent me a picture of this snake river farms, Wagyu brisket. And he's Uh like, I bought a smoker and I'm going in. And I said, slow down for a second here. (laughs) Stop for one second. I said, I'm going to give you my restaurant depot card. I want you to go to restaurant depot tomorrow (laughs) and I want you to buy a brisket. And then I want you to watch the Aaron Franklin video of how to break down a brisket. And then I want to, I want to, I want to watch you fuck up the first bunch of briskets you make before you drop a $213 (laughs) brisket into your, you know, and he was like, Oh my God, thank you so much. And I'm like, you gotta, (laughs) let's like, let's tread water for a little while before we just dig all in. Because, and I said to him, I hate brisket. I absolutely hate it. I hate cooking it. I hate cutting it. I hate trimming it. I hate buying it. I hate watching, you know, I'm constantly trying to find ways to find a better utilization for the excess product, you know? And I'm like, what? Every time your knife hits the meat, it's, I mean, you're throwing away any of that fat, any (laughs) trim. That's all money. I have more goddamn smoked brisket fat in my restaurant right now. And my guys are like, what are we going to do with these? I'm like, okay, this we're going to dice up and put into burgers. This we're going to do a confit. (laughs) This we're doing this with. This we've got this. And it's like, you know, now it's amazing how much much ends up in your beans. (laughs) Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, but not in my area because I have complaints that people say that I have too much meat in my burnt end baked beans. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to Yelp, my friend. It's a glorious place yeah, to yeah, live. No kidding. No kidding. Um, so what was your, so you were in Seattle, you're going to Art Institute. Now you graduate. Yeah. Now where, where did you kind of, where was your next world? So, um, and I was thinking that I, I couldn't really decide if I wanted to stay in Seattle or go to Portland. I kind of wanted, you know, cause they had a little bit of scene, a little better. They definitely had Spokane had no scene. They've had no, they had no scene for pretty much my whole life. Right. And, um, so I was trying to decide between, between those two. Um, and then, um, I had an opportunity to come back. I had an opportunity to work at a, uh, it's called black rock. It's a, um, it was like a, a privately owned, uh, club, a golf. It wasn't really a golf club. It was kind of like a, uh, on the lake in Coeur d'Alene. Um, so, I worked for the owner for a while. I decided to take that and work for the owner for a little while. Um, I got to, you know, cook, 
whatever budget I wanted for um, clients that were coming in to buy property, you know, they're buying wow. one, two, $3 million properties. And I was there to, you know, wine and dine them pretty much with sure. no budget, which is pretty fun coming right out of culinary school. And how old were you at this point? Uh, 22. Oh, 20. dude, just fucking yeah. balls of steel <laughs> and headstrong yeah. into every single piece of it. And, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You think you're I don't like this slice amazing. of Wagyu. I'm going to sled, put <laughs> yeah. this off to the side. This one looks much better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, and I, so, so then I was trying to decide what my next move would be. And, um, I kind of decided at some point that I wanted to try and make a difference here in the area. Um, so I thought that maybe we can, you know, if I keep working at it, that at some point I can make my name in the area. So I kept working at it and, uh, ended up taking over a job as, uh, Cedars, which is like this, uh, floating steakhouse in Coeur d'Alene. And, um, as a first, as my first chef job at 22, it was like right after he, the owner of BlackRock bought the restaurant for his right. members since the, the clubhouse wasn't built yet. So he gave me this job, but it was, you know, to be 22 and be, have a chef job was a pretty, pretty crazy feeling. And I was okay. not quite ready for it. You know, mentally, there's no way to be ready for it. Cause you're, you just don't know what you don't know. And being, being, you know, young and thinking, you know, everything and trying to be the manager of this whole team of people. <laughs> it was difficult. Oh my say god! The least. Yeah. And you're yeah. and you're and you're young. You're younger than most of them, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it was. I mean, it was a great experience, and um, what, I learned a lot. Looking so. looking back now, because I always look back. Like my first job, you know, I came from the Four Seasons in Philadelphia to mm-hmm. I was then a sous chef at a restaurant in 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 uh, Key Largo, Florida like two complete different op, like two opposite ends (laughs) of the spectrum. The chef ended up getting sick and then I was in charge. And the next thing I know, I have an 85% food cost. (laughs) Yeah, that happens. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like, it's like like you're given the key and you're given the keys to everything. You're given the keys to the Ferrari. Yeah. 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 Whatever. You're like, have whatever drinks you want, eat whatever food you want. There's other things go with that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, trying to control yourself when you're that age is like, it's just, is and on top of that, running the restaurant and, you know, there's a lot of maturity things that you're missing. Big time. So, I, I mean, it is, it is complete. Even, even, even now you see chefs, that, younger chefs that even if you're a little bit older, it's still, you still kind of go through that anyway. Um, as part of the process, I think of becoming a chef, but um, I think that's, that's a, a major piece of like who I am today too as well sure. is because I, I got a little bit of, I obviously got a, a head start because I was pretty young. Um, but until you, until you see things you don't know, you know, you have the 85% food cost and you're like, Oh man, what happened? How did yeah. that happen? Right. And it's not until all those things happen is where you get your real knowledge. Cause in culinary school, you only get so much, you know, you're not right. going to learn. I mean, they teach the you the basics and exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. we had business classes in my school you know, we learned the, we learned the basics. We had business math. We went through all that stuff. You know, we learned about food cost and inventory and costing recipes and doing all that stuff. But it is, it's until you, and and I honestly believe that that 85% food cost got me to the point where I, I understand food cost, you know, a couple (laughs) of years working through it, I really was able to really kind of hone it in. And it's not that big of a mystery anymore you know, no, as to what food cost is, but what was well, you your, know, it, you have, you have the owner going in there and he's like, I want I, our owner was like, I want crab legs the size of baseball bats. Okay. I can do that. Sure. Can. You know, so I <laughs> got the crab legs, you know, they're at the time they were only like $20 a pound, but to serve them at the restaurant, you know, like, well, if we're going to hit a 30% food cost, we're serving one pound of crab legs, right. which is like a half of one of those crab legs for $60. Right. And, and the owner's like, no, I want a baseball bat. So it's like, well, that's going to be $120 for one leg. So right. it's like, it just, it, you know, there was a lot of things there, you know, things that you, you learn, you have to stand up for and like say, well, okay, well we can do that, but you're going to end up losing money on this deal or whatever. You know, I, I think I that's, worked, that's all part of it. I worked for a place that did uh 14, nine Tuesday nights was 1495 two pound lobster night. So what we used to do was we would weigh. So basically it was, if you had an exact two pound lobster, you paid 1495 and it came with butter, baked potato and a salad. 
I think, and it was fourteen ninety five, whatever it was. Yeah. And I used to take a credit of seventy. What was it? Seventy two cents, I think, for every. It was like I had credits that were just coming in just to hit food costs. All right. Well, we sold oh, yeah. one hundred twenty lobsters last week, plus this, plus that, and people would flock in. And that was another level of that food cost that I had to figure out. Well, how is it, you know, with a perception of value and that, that marketing and that everyday low price and all that stuff, like, you know, and, and those are those things that we learn as we move along. Yep. I mean, we, we do the same thing at the casino. I think when I went, when I started the casino, um, I was a chef of uh quarterline casino, which is a, a pretty large casino resort. We used to do about, um, you know, we had eight restaurants in there, but the, the buffet was our loss leader. And so we would have crab out there. King crab was, I think when I started like five ninety nine a pound or something like that, it's crazy. Right. And, but we were still losing for every customer that came in, we, we would lose $15. So even <laughs> though they're paying $30 a person, we were still losing $15 a person. So how crazy. are you, how are you averaging that? I mean, how are you coming to, because you've got grandma and grandpa and then you've got you know me and my buddies yeah yeah so you just it just it's just the total of all the food so you have yeah two thousand customers and we we spent you know whatever much however much money on the food right so then you just divide it divide it out per person right but then as, as long as it's calculated you know it's either but then on the floor we're making two million dollars of cash so we may lose you know thirty or forty thousand dollars on the buffet that night but we're making two million dollars in cash on the floor. Right, exactly. Uh, one yeah, night. That's a, that's a neat. It's a neat casino. I like. They, they've done a nice job. I really like that that whole Coeur d'Alene world and yeah. what they put together over there. It's a nice group of people. It's a beautiful casino. Oh yeah, yeah. Gorgeous and it's resort. a yeah. and it's a it's great a ride from from Mirabu all the way over. I've yeah. done it a couple of times. Yeah, um, there's a ways out there. Yeah. It so so now now you're fur now. After this, you know, you're, you're on the boat, you're doing that. You're working with the guy from yeah. BlackRock and all that. Where, where's your, yeah. you want to make that mark into Spokane? So, well, first I went to, okay. Then after this, after the steakhouse, I went to Bricks, which is a, uh, kind of, it was a fine dining style restaurant in downtown Coeur d'Alene. And that's where I, I really, uh, started to make a name for myself. I had like chef's tasting menus and had, um, a lot, a lot more control of the menu and we're, you know, doing a lot more, you know, like homemade gnocchi and, fava beans and you know like a little bit higher end quality stuff chanterelles morels you know all of right. the stuff that's local around the area and really developing really my own um you know philosophy towards food and like you know how we can live seasonally on the menu and those kind of things and then also being able to do the chef's tasting menu where i you know someone just trusts what i'm going to make which is right. something that you know you kind of adapt and learn to um and then after that, so I was there for a few years and then I got that, that then I left Bricks to open my own restaurant, um, which was a real eye, eye opener because I, I knew how to be the chef. I knew the cost controls. I knew how to like run the kitchen, but running your own place is not the same thing. <laughs> and, uh, yes. After about a year, I ended up selling it. Um, and just because I, I'm sitting there, you're working 65 hours a week and I, my salary was only going to be like $30,000. And I'm like, I'm not doing this for the rest of my life. So right. I had, I had the opportunity to go work at the casino. Um, and so I took that opportunity and, and sold the restaurant, but it's still like losing. It feels like losing a limb when you shut down a restaurant, it's still pretty upsetting that you couldn't make it work. You know, we were like a pretty decently busy place, but I just couldn't make it work financially. And it's just, it's just because, like I said, you don't know, we don't know until you, you know, you're losing, you know, you go to do payroll and you're short 10,000 bucks. Like, where oh. am I going to get $10,000? Yeah, yeah. For people that worked last week, two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know? Yeah. Oh. So it's just, it's, it's tough. And, um, but I think that was really what has, has helped me in this, in the industry, in the re being owning the restaurants is like, you learn that every Every time that um, a sale comes in or every sale that you miss, you're like scratching and clawing to survive. And I yeah. think that that mentality, it, which is happening now as well, I think is like as a reminder of that, is that you have to you have to scratch and claw and climb your way out of it and to survive. Otherwise, you're just going to go under because there's there's no other way. There's no like in between. Um, and I think that's that's what we were missing is that little bit of an edge. 
that you learn from, you know, closing a restaurant or, you know, that, that hardship you have to go through. I think that we were in such a world of abundance at the same time. You know, oh, everything exactly. was right there exactly. for us. And, and this is hustle yeah. mode. I mean, we're full-blown yeah, hustlers. Yeah. Well, that's you what know? we are. I mean, that's what, that's what chefs are. Exactly. Like, especially especially restaurateurs. It's just, it's what we do. And that's that's another thing that's, that I think has come out of this is like when you see the community come together, that's another thing that chefs do is that we love to serve. We love to serve people. We love to make people happy. And like when you see everybody come together um, and, you know, help out the community or help people that are unemployed and, you know, that yeah. it's it's been great. It's been, it has been uh, pretty awesome to watch on, and I've been open again. So, you know, a lot of other places have had to close and, and I'm open and we're feeding yeah. hospitality. Anybody who works in the hospitality industry who was laid off eats for free. All you got to do is come in and talk to me. You get a free yeah. meal. Um, you know, yeah. we're feeding hospital workers as well. I have a couple of people that call up. Can I get a meal? We do a staff meal every day. So like, and that is what we do. That is really the fun part. And and when those people walk in, my staff has a different reaction to them that than we oh, do yeah. the regular guest. You know, there's oh, a, there's yeah, an air see, high five, and yeah, you know, it's like going to a wedding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's hey! like a chef going to a wedding, hanging out in the back with a bartender, smoking cigarettes behind the walk. <laughs> you know, that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, now I mean, you. It's, it's, fantastic i mean that's we've we've been doing food the same thing we do uh about 150 meals a day for people who are unemployed but it's been you know it's through donations and things like that but that's it's it's nice to have everyone come together so quickly now where are you guys so so you guys have that so you have that property you leave you go and open up Coeur d'Alene and then how do you get into the world where you now have all of the restaurants that you guys have now so um while i was at the casino um I ended up doing a little, I ended up doing a pop-up. So about, um, I'll, I'm going to come back to that actually. So when I was at the casino, we, we met as chefs. So we decided that a lot of chefs in the area, we went up to this farm in uh, Colville, which is about a three, I think three hours away, three or four hours away. And we talked about the future of food in Spokane. And so we were all wow. kind of sitting around and um, discussing like why I think at the time uh, a New York Times article came out. So it was the golden age of eating in Portland, something along those lines. And we talked about why we couldn't be there, like why we can't get there. And so Spokane's like had a couple of little influxes of um, good restaurants, but they always kind of come and go. Um, and so we talked about like why, why our region couldn't be different or why we couldn't like move it forward. And so I think what we all took away from that was everyone doing their own small piece of it so you know there's a couple other chefs that had that started their own independent restaurants um a couple other chefs were doing some pop-ups i chose to do a pop-up there was some underground dining that was kind of starting in chicago and new york and so i decided i wanted to do that same sort of idea nice. um, and so i started doing a pop-up once a month 30 people all around the northwest from like boise to walla walla seattle really kind of all over yeah for um 11 courses, 30 people traveling all, all around. Sometimes it'd be like on a rooftop. Sometimes it'd be like in a vineyard, all kinds of different places. Yeah. So I met, ended up meeting a developer for Kendall Yards, which is where our restaurants are now. And so we kind of developed a relationship and I would do a couple pop-ups at his properties and um, some things like that and some, some private dinners. And I had been at the casino for five years uh, at that point. And I just decided that it wasn't really, my demographic or like it wasn't um, exactly what I wanted to do. And I kind of wanted to take a, take a, leave it all, you know, leave the good pay, leave the good benefits. Right. Um, Cause I'd always wanted my own restaurant again. And so um, I talked to the owner of Kendall Yards who I'd got through that relationship uh, through the pop-up dinners and asked him about, you know, his new development that was coming up and if he'd be interested in helping me open a restaurant there. And he was. And so he ended up uh, signing helped me out signing on my loan for wandering table, the restaurant. That was what the pop-up was called as well. And while I was like waiting for that to be built, um, I took over a good cafe, which was a cafe in the Meadowood technology campus in Liberty Lake. Um, really it was, they serve about at the time, I think it was 2000 people or 1500 people. And it's like Shit. a cat employee cafeteria. Right. So while I was waiting for that to be built, I took over this thing and um, was kind of doing both at the same time. And then uh, another property next to Wandering Table opened up and he asked if I'd be interested in uh, opening 
the brunch in the the diner that we have and uh so i i said sure because <laughs> you know I'd, I'd already been at the casino i was running eight restaurants there um i really worked with uh, uh that's where it really where i learned a lot more about business i worked directly with the cfo on making the businesses all of the food and beverage there profitable as far as like running everything by the numbers so like developing budget schedulers having budgets for every single uh uh restaurant and and their schedulers and food costs and all these things like we developed all these like really good systems and eventually we made that not profitable but break even i mean there was it was scheduled to lose six million dollars in a year and we got that down to zero so i learned a lot of the business parts and then i took that to running my own restaurants and was able to you know kind of operate um our our new new style our new restaurants in that same style um but crazy as it was to open two places at the same time i kind of went headfirst into the restaurant being a restaurant tour like right off the right off the oh path. yeah oh my god walk right yeah. into it sure yeah well and then there's just so many things i still didn't know i mean i didn't know how to i'm not an accountant i'm not hr you know there's just so yeah. much stuff again that you think you know are you there is not really that important but you know you're sitting there reconciling the books and you're like well i'm three dollars off whatever just so write that off oh my god so true (laughs) that ends up just totally not being the way you're supposed to be an accountant so right (laughs) you know it's not until you kind of learn a lot of those lessons and i and and luckily i was still working with greenstone which is the owner of kendall yards um they really came back and helped me uh when i was struggling with the business aspects uh with their cfo as well as they they helped me kind of get my books in line and kind of helped get my business you know all the get they kind of helped fill a little bit of the gap, so I was really lucky in that aspect um, to have someone who was invested in you know our business. Um, obviously, that that helps their business as well. You know, being a, a, a key part of their development. But um, without that, that would have been extremely difficult. Um, and then and then from there, you know, I just the same kind of thing, just relationships that I developed uh, over time, and each one's a little bit different. But I met different developers, and then. Um, with each concept, we built a new idea. So next was uh, Gilded Unicorn after Yards and Wandering Table and Eat Good Cafe. It was Gilded Unicorn. It's a craft cocktail bar. It's really old. It used to be the boiler room of uh, the Montville Hotel, which is one of the oldest hotels in Spokane. Cool. And it's just this big rock room. And uh, it used to be, it ran for a restaurant for about, uh, I don't know, five or six years. It ran for a little while. And then it went out of business and then it was empty for a while. And then we decided to, I, I really liked the property. I knew it was, it's been vacant for a couple of years. So I knew I could get a pretty good deal on it and uh, developed a relationship with the, the owner of the property and then uh, built the restaurant there. Um, and then after that was uh, the cellar restaurant in downtown Coeur d'Alene, which actually was Brick's restaurant was the place where I originally was started at. Oh, cool. <laughs> as the chef ended up being able to run that um run that restaurant own that restaurant um and then uh let's see after that one was uh republic kitchen tap house in post falls which is uh another relationship i developed with these two brothers that own the property um they were looking for another person to help them uh develop the restaurant and um then farmhouse kitchen in Bondaray, which was a Basically, it was going to be an IHOP. The IHOP backed out, and it's the same developer that owned the hotel at Gilded Unicorn. And so he had asked if I'd be interested in doing that property. Um, and then after that was Incrediburger and Eggs. So that was our it's our fast casual concept in downtown Spokane, which happens to be pretty close to Gilded Unicorn, but that was the same developer as that property. So it's like just been a lot of good relationships and, um, you know, as we grow, it's, it's, it's always been the same. You know, as you if you treat people with respect, you're nice to them, you know, it doesn't really matter on what level, whether they're the dishwasher or whether they're a huge developer. I think those things come back to you at the end. Yeah. That relationship is so important on every level. Yeah. You know, I've, I mean, I've, I've, I've always said it to my guys and with everybody that I've worked with, I'm always like, just leave on good terms, man. Yeah. Just leave on, you know, it's not always the easy thing to do. No, you need to be in, but you need to do it. Yeah. I mean, I remember I had a guy once who just was burning bridges everywhere he looked. You know, we knew he was leaving. He was being a douchebag. 
And I finally just hit, you know, his last night on the line, he was sabotaging and kind of being a dick, Uh, better and better. And I looked at him and I said, do not ever put my name on your resume. Yeah. And he has a two year block, you know, a two year gap in his resume (laughs) at this point where he worked for me. And I was like, don't ever put me on your resume, man. It's just that simple. I I will never say anything. You know, it's just not going to happen. But so now here's my respect too. it takes time and money and effort to train somebody. Yeah. And people don't respect that. So. so much time. I've, I mean, you know, and especially in this day and age, like, I, I mean, it's weird. I'm actually, I had a hard time finding somebody to fill a spot this last couple of weeks. Yeah. In this day and age, you know, I mean, I had That's a hard crazy. time That's finding crazy with somebody. So many people, with so many people laid off, but well, you know, unemployment's not that bad right now. <laughs> You're getting exactly. Extra <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're making extra money on top of whatever, it, you know, some of these guys yeah. are still out there hustling and doing their thing. And I always I always ask this question to people who pardon my yawn to chefs who have, you know, kind of come up through the ropes. You guys, you came up. You know, you started off going to school, you did your all your stuff, you you've done your dishes, you know, you've done your line oh, yeah. cook, you've scrubbed your station down, you you've walked through the whole oh, thing. Yeah. How was it? That, I, was, I was I was actually a dishwasher for a year and a half. And like dishwasher years, that's like Oh, <laughs> that's a long time. That's like a that's like a real slow person. <laughs> oh man, it's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> How? Uh, I mean, where was your comfort level in starting to kind of relinquish control over every aspect of the food? Um, and I hope that question is coming out the way, you know, you're coddling yeah. a baby, you're building, you're rearing, no, no. you're, 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 you're raising a child and no, you're allowing I mean, out a nanny to do that. Yeah. So that at the casino, that was kind of my first start of that. I mean, as a chef, you kind of grow up, you grow up doing that as maturity right. kind of goes on. Um, you, you have to let some things go. You obviously, you're not going to be, that's when you, we see that actually in a lot of our new chefs is they have this line cook mentality where they're like, oh, well, it's not working. So I'm the only guy that can fix it. And I'm so they go and they work 80 hours a week when that's not the real solution. The real solution <laughs> is to hold everybody accountable. You know, your sous chef needs to pull his pants up and you know, get some things working. Your uh, line cooks need to be able to clean their station, make sure it's prepped, you know, all these things. And I, it's the same thing with restaurants is, um, as, as we developed, you know, at, at the casino, I kind of learned to each, each, each restaurant at the casino had a chef and a sous chef. And so I kind of learned to let some control go, but I was still writing every single recipe and every single menu. Um, as we developed restaurants now, uh, I have, we have a floating chef, which works directly with the chef and the sous chef. So it's like one more layer between, Right. but I, I understand the importance of, of the chef and the general manager of putting their thumbprint on every single menu. If you want your, if you're expecting all of your managers to take hundred percent ownership of what's happening in the restaurant, you can't dictate what's exactly what's on the menu. We can give them a vision, a direction, and then help them develop the ideas. But if their thumbprint's not on it, no one wants to take ownership over everything that's happening. Sure. And, and, and our goal is to, for all of our, our chefs, managers to make autonomous decisions, to make a decision. Don't wait for us to, you know, say yes or no on anything that's happening. We just need you to make this, and if it's not the right one, then we're not going to blow up, freak out at you. But at least, at least, you know, try and try and make the right decision, the decision you think we would make, and then we can talk about it if it's not right. So the same thing is with the menu. I mean, we we do that constantly at Wandering Table. Our menu changes every day, so there's no way to control that right. every aspect of it. But you know, you start you see a, a Yelp review or you see a couple different reviews. We just share that with the chef and say, "Hey, well, here's some things to think about. Here's some of the comments we're getting." And then we talk about how to get back to that vision and the direction, and then maybe you know being able to put their thumbprint on it, but still having a little bit more control over what's happening. Right. And you've got a good crew. I mean, I, you know, for all the events that I've done out there, and um, you know, I guess I've been out there four years now, and I'm really I. Look, I'm not going to lie, dude. This sucks, this whole pandemic thing. Yeah. But I'm fucking pissed that Graves not happening. <laughs> Me too. I mean, yeah, it's, it's such a good time. So, you know, just so everybody knows, there's an event that that um, Adam and, and another another friend of mine, Tom, uh, put on. And 
it's 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 just a great event. I mean, it, it brings to to kind of the forefront the food that's happening in Spokane, the talent that's out there within all of the chefs that are out there. You know, I mean, I really see a great growth, and I haven't, I, I I've never, I never experienced the Pacific Northwest. It was my first time, but to meet the guys that I met and see the talent and the caliber of food that was being put out was was awesome. You know, I mean, well, it's I such think, a, go ahead. I, th- I think the idea is the same idea that happened so many years ago when we talked, when we had all the chefs come together. It's like, how do we, how do we support each other, show off what's happening here? And how do we make it a little bit better all the time? Like, how do we take our, everybody take your own piece, work yeah. on it, and then we'll all come together. And I think Crave is kind of like the epitome of that. Like, I think, um, I mean, even to have a James Beard uh, nomination in our area, which had never happened before, um, you know, and have New York Times, L.A. Times kind of writing and talking about the food scene that's starting to blossom here. That's that was not even on the radar of anyone's thinking, um, you know, maybe 10 years ago. And so now to see some of those things starting to happen, it's it's been fantastic. And it's all because everybody takes individual piece and work on it and then slowly it comes together into this whole picture and i think crave is like the epitome of that so. well and it, and it also gives a full showcase to the area the culture yeah. you know a full-blown idea of the people that are out there and i remember the first year that i got out there and you know and i started to, to engage with everybody you know and then we walk out and you guys have tribal dances that are going on in the events uh-huh. and live music and just the food across the board um, with some of these guys. And, and I've had, I mean, I've had a bunch of chefs from, from who I met this past year on the show this year, you know, to David Fu is now involved in stuff that I do in Vegas with, me. you know, oh, so awesome. it's like, you know, and, and a bunch and finally being able to get you on. I mean, that's been, that's been in the, in the works. I think we finally hung out this past year. <laughs> Where the hell did we go? Some bar. I don't even know. That was a riot. That was oh, a good Spokane. night. Downtown Spokane. Downtown Spokane. Man, yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We hit a couple different a little, spots. A little bit of an adventure. And it was a good time. <laughs> it was a good time. Yeah. Um, but I but I just I love that event. And for me, it's like, you know, it's one of those things that I look forward to on a yearly basis to be able to come out and have that 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 week with you guys to do the charity event, to do the ride, to do the event and do all of that. And I was doing it the other day. Somebody said, what's something you're, you're missing so far? I'm like, I'm I would be preparing my brain to work my ass off. Cause I know that there's going to be a break at the end of that, you know, to get yeah. out there. So, um, and it kind of sucks. I'm, I'm not happy about it this year, but well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take all that energy and push it to next year. <laughs> I'm excited for next year as well. Trust me. Trust me. So, so where are you guys? I mean, what's your kind of plan now? I mean, where, where are you guys within the pandemic and within some of the rules and regulations that are happening? What's going on in Spokane at this point? So uh, in Idaho, we're we're able to open um, with regulations on May 16th. So we have you know 50% capacity. Um, you know all the servers wearing masks and gloves and taking temperatures at the door for the, our staff. Wow, really? Uh, yep. And then uh, in Spokane, I think we're looking at. I, I'm going to guess June 16th, but I'm not. I don't really know. We we our stay at home orders was is till May 31st. Um, and then they're going to start doing different stages of opening of, um, you know, retail and restaurants. Right. But we, we, it's a, it's a lot different pace. I mean, the, even the, um, even in Spokane and, and Coeur d'Alene, the population density is just not as much. So we haven't really seen a lot of cases in general. Um, but part of that obviously is due to the stay at home order. And, and with the combination of both those things, we haven't really had a, a big influx of cases. So, um, I think we're, I think we're thinking like June 16th for Spokane and May 16th for Idaho. There, there actually has been some retail stores that opened on May 1st in Idaho, which is, which is very, it was kind of weird. You know, it's right. like after being closed for so long, seeing people walking around shopping was kind of strange, yeah. but yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of our plan right now. <clears throat> Where are nice. you guys at? So we're still closed. I mean, that's, we're still closed. Um, <laughs> You know, we're, we're, we're masks everywhere you go. You have to have a mask on pretty much at this point. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, yeah. the Northeast, we have such a very dense population. This is a really yeah. weird, odd bit of trivia, but 50% of the United States population lives within 300 miles of Atlantic City, New Jersey. I believe it. <laughs> so, you know, if you think about that, you're doing that Boston, New York, Philadelphia, yeah. Baltimore, D.C., kind yeah. of that whole realm when you just reach your arm out is a huge population. Um so like, you know, in the restaurant right now, we don't allow, nobody's allowed in the restaurant if you don't have a mask. Um, my entire staff is in masks and we sanitize POS system. If we ask you to sign a credit card slip, like, you know, we're really trying to keep it as simple as possible. I'm going to stay full to go until probably August 1st. Okay. Because I, I, and, and I think, I think we'll probably still be pretty strong to go. I, I don't think we're going to be that busy opening up. Right. I'm guessing that it'll go a, long, a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah. But I think even even if we have our dining room open somewhat, it's still not going to be crazy like it was. Because summer's like our crazy time. We're doing sure. you know two and a half times business what we do in the winter. Right. So. And then for you guys, are you having to? I mean, are you having to bring back full staff, or are you able to piece your staff back in based on volume? We'll piece it back based on volume. I mean, we're, okay. we're, I mean, that's the one thing I was kind of talking about is we're going to live by the numbers like we did when we started it is, it's, we have to, that's, we can't just bring everyone, but even though we have, we hopefully we'll be getting PPP money at right. some point. Um, but the longer we can extend that, that's, that's why it's been kind of nice to get it later than, than having gotten it, you know, even a month ago or two weeks ago, the later we can get it, the, the longer we can extend this out a little bit. So, right. Um, we're hoping that, we can just kind of bring back people pretty slowly. And with you guys, I mean, you have so many properties. It's a pretty big decision. You know, it's oh, not yeah, like it's definitely. one property and you've got three people you're concerned about. I mean, how many yeah. employees do you guys have total? Uh, 180. 180. Which we, which we did have. We had 180. Now we're down to like 22. Right. <laughs> which was a very difficult. Our first two payrolls, uh, I lost about $80,000. So that was money that we did not have that I had to figure out how to come up with. Sure. Because we we you just it's hard to cut that fast when you go from 180 plays to to what we needed to do is 22, but we cut probably in half the first time. It's like right. that's not enough, and then you know half again. Oh, that's not quite enough. You know, it's like wow. it's it was it was very difficult in the first first couple of payrolls there. Yeah, it's a tough one, man. Yeah. Man, all right. Well, dude, thank you so much for hanging out, man. I appreciate you hopping on. Oh, of course, us. yeah, anytime. Yeah, and. Great uh, talking to you. Yeah, man. I, I mean, like I said, I, I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing out there. And um, it's been an honor to be able to, to be involved in that. And then as well as become friends and and kind of see the cool stuff that you guys are doing out there. So cheers to you guys and um, yeah. be safe, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. Good talking to you. You got it, brother. Take care. Talk to you this week. All right. Thanks. Bye. Late. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam Hegstead. Uh, eat good out there in Spokane. Really cool. Uh uh, group of guys, and he's a very calm individual. Um, I, I really enjoyed my my time out there with these guys the last couple of years. And one of the things that I've always done is I've really kind of paid attention to Adam and how he does stuff. And it's been neat. Oh man, what's up with this yawning? I'm not bored, guys. I swear to God, I'm not bored, especially when I'm talking about Adam. But uh, you know, for me. I love watching chefs in multiple levels do things, you know, the way that, that, that Adam handles his staff and the way that he works and interacts with his staff is, is that a very much a leader, um, you know, and he's got a good group of people that work with him that um, trust in him, believe in him and really want to uh, not only make him proud, but they, they want to make the group proud, which ultimately leads to their pride, you know, and so much of what they do. And it's really a neat thing. They've built an unbelievable group and an unbelievable food scene over the last couple of years. Oh, my God. How in the hell am I yawning? I'm drinking coffee, boys and girls. As we go, I slept okay last night. I think I did, but I guess I didn't. So cheers to Adam. Cheers to everybody out there in the uh, Spokane area. Huge fan. Glad you guys are safe and um, looking forward to you guys opening back up. So 
That's our show for the week, man. That's what we got. We got Adam Hegstead. Thanks so much for hopping on. We got everybody to thank real quick. I want you guys to get over there on the iTunes. Give us some reviews. I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm supposed to say that. I know I said that last week, but I do. I feel like I'm supposed to say that. Like, go to iTunes and review us. I don't know why. I guess it puts us at the top of the list. But there's only one podcast called Duffified Live. You can type in D-U-F-F-I, and I'm the only motherfucker who shows up. You don't have to put the whole damn show in. So it can't be that hard for you guys to go over and give us a review for what? I don't know. I have no idea. Just review us. Let us know what you think. If you think I suck, tell me I suck. But you can probably do that on Twitter as well, which is where most people tell you that you suck. And if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Chef Brideff. But we got to thank the people that make this happen. The boys down there at RadioInfluence.com who deal with my bullshit on a weekly basis, my late notes, our on-the-fly conversations that we have to have, and last-minute recording schedules with these guys are unmatched. Um, and I appreciate every part of that. They have also started to partner up with friends of mine on doing a couple of shows. We got a Jen Frederick show out there. You guys have heard her. Heard her. She was on the show. Mr. Ian Beckles has got a whole bunch of projects that go on down there. But these guys have great podcasts from UFC to marijuana to working to hospitality, a boatload of sports stuff. So check out RadioInfluence.com. And if you have a podcast that you'd like to share with them, give Jerry and Jason a call. What's the worst that's going to happen? They might say no. Well, it's only one way to find out. Got to ask. Uh, we want to thank Michelle out there at Techno Solution for her hard work, all the stuff that she does with my websites, my menus, graphic design, the whole nine yards. And then we want to thank Maggie Gagliardi, who does our promo pieces. That's at Mags, M-A-G-Z-A-R-T. Techno Solution is who does our other stuff that I was talking about, and that's T-E-C-H-K-N-O-W Solution. So check out Michelle, Maggie, Jerry, and Jason. That's my show for the week. I want to thank you guys for hanging out with us. Have a great week, boys and girls. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is an MJ Morning Show podcast quick fix on Radio Influence. I had a little run-in with an old-timer at CVS. I had to go pick up one of my prescriptions, one of my medications was ready. I was as friendly as could be, but there was an elderly guy. He had to be in his 80s. That was just my eyeball. So I'm in line and you got the pharmacy line and everyone's all social distancing and everyone's six, eight, ten feet away. And this guy just comes very close to everyone in line. He's not doing anything to try to socially distance and he's got a mask on. It's half-assed. And I'm seeing this so much. It seems that I see a lot of elderly people doing this, but I've also seen people of other demographics do this as well. And it's where they have the mask over their mouth, but it is not over their nostrils or not over their nose. But I said, sir, excuse me, but you're wearing the mask, but you're not getting any benefit there because your nose is fully exposed. And he's like, don't tell me what to do. I survived the Korean War. I'll survive this. And then wouldn't you know, he had one of those Korean War veteran baseball caps on. I'm like, of course you're a Korean War vet. He just got all ornery and nasty. Here I'm nice. I'm like, uh, sir, your mask is not on properly, so it's not helping you. And, of course, the elderly, that's a very susceptible demographic. And if the guy was in in uh, the Korean War, I mean, he's got to be probably in his mid-80s. Korea was 50, 50 to 53. Yeah, 50 to, that, was, that was the Korean War. So uh, 1953 is... Uh, oh, my is, God. Is, he was old as hell. <laughs> yes. Yes, he's old. <laughs> old. I was old. I'm still in line. Five, six, eight minutes later, he walks by again, and he's got the mask properly on his nose and mouth, and he looks at me and says, you happy now? (laughs) The MJ Morning Show podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, MJMorningShow.com, and RadioInfluence.com. 